Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, 9th, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the PrepWell Podcast. In today's episode, I'd like to address the elephant in the room, which is the ridiculous admission rate seen across many colleges this year. Some of the most selective colleges in the 3 to 4% admit range. 3 to 4%. That means that out of 100 highly qualified candidates, often very highly qualified candidates, only three or four are getting in. And yes, these ultra-low rates don't represent most colleges, but they do impact other colleges, and they often tell the story of a broader trend. And I know COVID threw a lot of things out of whack, but this is starting to get absurd. And it appears that this trend is going to be continuing from here on out. In many aspects of our lives, I'm sure several things come to mind for you, things that seemed absolutely crazy six months ago are now mainstream ideas. So what I'd like to do is to quickly review a bunch of the reasons why this is happening, so we're all on the same page, and then try to give some suggestions on what to do about it, how to handle it. Some of these reasons will be familiar to you, especially if you're a fan of the show, and others may surprise you. So here we go. What has brought college admissions rates in some U.S. colleges down to the low single digits? Number one, college rankings. Most of us know by now that rejection rates, or the inverse of that, acceptance rates, tend to be given a lot of weight in the U.S. News and World Report rankings and other similar rankings because they're seen as a proxy for exclusivity. The harder it is to get into a school, the better it must be. So if a college wants to keep its place in the rankings or move up the rankings, one of the levers they can pull is their admit rate, which leads to some shady activity sometimes. Leads us to reason number two, artificially inflating the number of applications. The simple math is when you increase the number of applicants and leave the number of admitted students the same, or you reduce it because of boomerang and gap year students, your admit rate goes down and you look more exclusive and more prestigious. This has led some colleges to use some very creative means to increase those applications, something called Snap Apps. Maybe you've heard of these or seen these from your kids. This is when a student gets an email or a letter in the mail saying, hey, you, highly qualified high school student, we want you to attend XYZ University so much that we're going to waive the application fee, we're not going to require any essays, and you'll be eligible for a $20,000 scholarship. Just sign on the dotted line and you're good to go. This type of scam can garner thousands and thousands of new applications, quote unquote, from students who they will ultimately reject. Which leads me to reason number three. There's no official definition of what an applicant is. For some colleges, 
an applicant, quote unquote, is someone who fills out a web form asking for additional information. Boom, you're an applicant. Or someone who begins to fill out an application but doesn't finish it. Boom, you're an applicant. Or they submit one of these Snap apps. Boom, you're an applicant. There's no consistency. The fourth reason, QuestBridge. QuestBridge is a program that helps the best and brightest students from under-resourced areas gain access to very prestigious and highly selective colleges. They maintain a platform that has a growing list of applicants on it who want to be part of it. So now if a college wants access to those students, i.e. applicants, they become a QuestBridge partner. Some schools who partner up with QuestBridge, they may only want or reserve one, two, or three spots for QuestBridge students, but they still get credit for all of the applications from the QuestBridge platform. This normally gives their applications numbers an immediate boost from a population that they normally don't access. Number five, the common application. As many of you know, the common application allows students to fill out their college application one time and then send that same application to lots of colleges, all with the click of a button. This is different from 20 or 30 years ago when each college application was unique and required a lot of individual work and attention that would make you think twice before applying to 15 or 20 schools. Not anymore. If you have the money to spend on application fees, you can apply to as many colleges as you want. This has boosted the number of applications submitted per student across the board. And unfortunately, the more students that do this, the greater the number of applications and the worse the chances of getting in are. Number six, population growth. Of course, the number of people in the US and abroad has grown over the last few years injecting hundreds of thousands more high schoolers into the college application system. And this has, of course, led to a rising number of applications compared to decades ago. Number seven, an increased focus on college. These days, it doesn't seem like there's much of a choice anymore. Students don't seem to see the trades, quote unquote, as a viable option anymore, unfortunately. And by trades, I mean plumbing and electric work and carpentry or the military for that matter, and college is gradually becoming just a continuation of high school that is expected at almost all costs. It's basically becoming the 13th grade. Reason number eight, standardized test prep. There are an increasing number of SAT and ACT study resources available to anyone with a computer and internet access, often for free, like Khan Academy. And students are taking advantage of this and studying well in advance. Taking the SAT is not something that students learn about the morning of the test anymore. Most on-the-ball students, most prep wellers, they're preparing well ahead of time for these tests, which means scores are going up and competition is increasing. Reason number nine, remote learning. If COVID has taught us anything, it's that we can get a lot of work done over the internet with tutors and advisors and mentors and educational consultants. The market for college admissions consultants and SAT tutors is no longer limited to a three to five mile radius around someone's house. There are tutors and consultants all over the world who are now helping ambitious students get help. And with so much access, there are plenty of different price points to choose from, from very expensive consultants who do custom tailored one-on-one -on -one work 
to less expensive consultants who get paid by the hour. There are also increasingly helpful and extremely affordable teaching resources online, like Preple Academy, that almost any high school student can tap into to get world-class advice, starting as early as freshman year. This stuff wasn't available 20 or 30 years ago. And lastly, number 10, the one that poured gasoline on the fire and changed the landscape of admissions, maybe forever, is the nearly universal accelerated adoption of test-optional policies, which means students do not have to submit a standardized test score, an SAT or an ACT score, if they don't want to. This has opened the floodgates because now students feel empowered to apply to schools that they normally would not apply to because their SAT score was nowhere near in the range for that particular college. For example, students with high GPAs and impressive extracurricular activities, but low SAT scores, they're applying to Harvard in droves. And why not? If they don't have to submit a standardized test score, maybe they'll get lucky. Without an SAT score, to differentiate students, lots of students and applicants start to look very similar to one another. And maybe you'll be one of the three or four out of 100 applicants that gets plucked from obscurity. And boom, just like that, Harvard gets almost 20,000 more applications in a single year, more than they normally do. Okay, well, that's the review of the reality, and I don't think it's going to let up. The colleges don't seem to care, except that they're running their admissions officers ragged, they'll adjust for that. It's the students and the families that need to come up with a strategy and a way to manage this entirely new landscape. So let's discuss how you should think about this new reality. Because a system where every motivated student with a strong profile who feels compelled to apply to an Ivy League school for any number of good or bad reasons, if they have to apply to 15 or 20 colleges now just to hedge their bets because the admit rates are so low, that's complete madness. There has to be a better way. So I think the first thing I would do is find someone who understands the college admissions landscape and talk to them about your prospects. I do this all the time with students and families. I call it a college admissions audit, where I go over everything that the student has accomplished, their grades, their test scores, their attitude, their extracurriculars, their summer engagement, and I get a feel for their level of ambition and motivation, and I can anticipate what's on the horizon for them, because I've done it so often, and I can make a determination on where I think they will likely land. And I will tell you, these are not always easy conversations, because in ninth and 10th grade, there are many, many students and parents who think that their child has quote-unquote Ivy potential. And I'm using Ivy here not to refer only to the eight Ivy League colleges, but rather the growing list of highly selective schools that are very difficult to get into. Unfortunately, they don't really know what it takes to get into these schools. It's not their fault. It's just they're not in the business, and they don't see the caliber of students coming out of high school these days. They often don't appreciate that three and a half million students in the United States graduate every year. And that's not including the best and the brightest and the wealthiest from overseas. And when there are that many students graduating, there are a lot of them who are off the charts in terms of accomplishments and success and ambition and motivation. 
just by probability alone. And most students and parents, especially if it's their first time through the process, they have no idea what's out there. They see their student working hard, their child is getting all A's, they're playing a sport, they're playing the clarinet, they're participating in clubs, they work at the soup kitchen, and to them, it doesn't seem like there's any more time in the day to do much more. Their child is maxed out and performing well, and that must mean that they're headed for the most selective schools. And many times, that's not true. Sometimes it is, of course, but not as often as you think, especially under this new system. So what I would do, with the help of me or someone else in the industry, is to try to establish where you're headed or what category of student you are. Here are a few sample categories that are very broad, but I think they're going to get to the point. Category number one, supernovas. The supernovas are the students who are way out there. They're doing things as a high schooler that you can hardly believe. They're Olympic athletes. They're entrepreneurs. They're academic machines. They're computer prodigies. They're musical phenoms. They're off the charts. These days, these are the students who have the best shot at getting into the most selective schools. The Yales, the Harvards, the Princetons, the MITs. So you have to think to yourself, do I, as the student, do I project to be one of those kinds of students? Am I a supernova? If you are, then you may have a chance at one of those Ivy League schools or the handful of other low single-digit admit rate schools. If not, then you'll need to reset the bar. It's as simple as that. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or a failure or you're not worthy or you're not going to be successful. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that you might not be one of the top few students in the world in your particular niche that will get into Harvard, for example. Think about it. Harvard admits about 2,000 students per year. Let's see what the odds are that you have what it takes. If you're a female, take those 2,000 spots and cut them in half because Harvard is about 50-50 male and female split. Okay, so now there's 1,000 female spots left. Let's assume that you're not a recruited athlete. So we're going to wipe another 200 slots out of contention. So now we're down to 800 slots at Harvard. Then assuming that you're not an international student, let's knock off another 25. Now we're down to 775 slots left. Now let's take out all the students from different states and territories, which all have to be represented in the incoming class. That knocks the number down to, say, 200. And what about spreading the class out so there's a relatively even number of intended majors? And what about students with legacy parents and people of color and disadvantaged students from Questbridge and the children of celebrities? The number of slots left for you goes down and down and down and down. And when the dust settles, where will you fit in? Will there be any slots left for you? Now, obviously, I'm not taking a scientific approach here. Of course, there will be students who get admitted who fall into multiple categories. For instance, they're a recruited athlete who's also a person of color, and they may be from a small state. So all of these categories are not mutually exclusive. But my bigger point here is that we're talking about being in the top few students in the country for the spot that you're trying to fill. Think about that. How would you do going toe-to-toe -to -toe with 
the very best few high schoolers in the country. I think that's how you have to think about it. Again, if you're not sure what the competition is like out there, and you, you're not sure if you have what it takes, have an expert help you out. An expert can give you the straight scoop. Either you're on the path of becoming a supernova or not. And by the way, you don't have to take the advisor's word for it. Prove them wrong if they give you news that they don't particularly see you moving in that direction, but at least go in with eyes wide open so that your expectations are set appropriately and then you put a plan together. All right, that's category number one, supernovas. Category number two, very highly qualified students. The very highly qualified student is the student that is excelling in everything. They're at the top of their class. They're playing sports. They're engaged in clubs. They have leadership roles. They're cranking in AP classes. They're working over the summer. They're getting all A's. They're tutoring underclassmen. It seems like they're doing it all. And it seems like they have completely maxed out their potential. These are the students that a lot of people would peg as Ivy bound. Except that these people don't always know about the supernovas out there. Their awareness about the competition is usually limited to their geography or a few friends or anecdotes. These students shouldn't necessarily swear off the Ivies or other low single-digit admission schools, but they should not expect to be overly competitive. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow. It's nothing against them. It's nothing against you if you're the student. It's not that you couldn't perform at these schools or that you have zero chance of getting in, but it's that there are only so many spots. As we mentioned, the brand name Ivies only accept about 2,000 students every year. That's not a lot, especially when 50,000 people apply. So my advice to the very highly qualified students is to think of themselves as Ivy prospects, but not to count on it, and rather to set their sights on colleges that accept more students, but aren't quite as selective, and that have programs that align very well with their aspirations. Ideally, this should be a freeing decision. Once you let go of the grip of the brand name schools, a whole new world opens up and the process should get a little bit easier. Unfortunately, this awakening doesn't happen in 10th or 11th grade as it should. It happens in the three-week period after these students get waitlisted or denied from the Ivies and they finally realize that they'll be just fine going to a nine Ivy League school. So I guess my goal is to encourage students not to wait until mid-March of their senior year when the decisions start coming in to have this awakening. Let's get on board in 10th grade so there's less stress and anxiety and inflated expectations all the way around. Okay, we've been through two categories. Number one, supernova. Number two, very highly qualified student. And number three, category number three is qualified students. Qualified students are the ones that are cruising. They're doing just fine. They're not particularly motivated. They're getting their work done on time. Maybe college isn't a huge priority for them. They assume everything's going to work out. That's category three, the qualified student. Category four, the recruited athlete. I carve out recruited athletes because they are a category unto themselves, even at the Ivy League schools, maybe especially at the Ivy League schools. If you're a legitimate recruited athlete, there is a lot more room for error 
in your admissions packet and you're on an entirely different path. You're in a very small pile in the admissions office. But once again, it's very difficult to become a legitimate recruited athlete. This is another situation where it would behoove you to have an audit from somebody like me or another trusted expert in the field to suss out whether you're on track or not. Frankly, most students are not, especially if they don't have a plan and they're just hoping and assuming that things are going to work out. Again, this isn't meant to be a slam on student athletes. It once again goes back to the numbers. If a college recruits four players in a given year from the whole country, and only one of those positions they are recruiting for is your position, let's say you're a goalie, that means you have to be their number one or number two recruit in the country to be recruited by them. That's pretty tough sledding. However, if you play your cards right and you get a plan together your freshman or sophomore year, then being a recruited athlete can be one of the most direct paths to the highly selective schools of all. I'm going to leave the category analysis at four. Certainly, I could expand this to six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's plenty of ways to skin the cat here, but I want to leave it at number one, the supernovas out there. Number two, very highly qualified students. Number three, qualified students. And number four, the recruited athlete. My goal today was to give you some insight into how and why it's been such a difficult year when it comes to admit rates, especially for the most selective schools. And I tried to give you a method to deal with it because this is not going away. If you're a parent of a 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th grader, I would make sure you're buckled in because this is the plan. This is going to be the plan for the next few years. So what I would say is get some help trying to figure out which category you fit into so you can adjust your high school career accordingly and you can calibrate your expectations accordingly and avoid some of the disappointment and the stress along the way, which happens when expectations and reality are not in alignment. Please feel free to reach out to me if you want and get my advice. We can set up an audit session to help you figure out which category you may fit into or your son or daughter may fit into. This is a great first step as a freshman or a sophomore or a junior to make sure you're moving in the right direction. You have your head screwed on right. And I hope to hear from you soon. And of course, if you're not already a prep weller and you're a freshman or a sophomore, please enroll. It's too late for juniors and seniors. We get people rolling freshman and sophomore year for all the reasons that I just talked about for the last 10 minutes. Because you will get in Prepple Academy weekly video lessons from me right to your inbox where I teach you everything you need to know during the college admissions process from beginning to end. And I wish you luck on that. That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. If you know a parent with an 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th grader in high school that might find this helpful, please share the episode with them. You can do that by finding that small box with the tiny arrow pointing up. That's the share button. Click that share button, text your friend, ask them to give this episode a listen. And if you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me by email, DM me on Instagram, prepwell underscore academy. Check out our blog, our Facebook page, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. PrepWell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program 
that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to prepwellacademy.com and enroll your child today.